0: Those who are four to six, you can go to your class. We'll stay in 1 Peter uh, 2, and then uh, you can turn to Romans uh, 6 as well. There's a lot in First Peter 2, and I'm not going to preach that, uh, but we started in verse 16. So let's start there. We are to live as people who are free, but not use our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as slaves, servants, your Bible may say, slaves of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, even honor the emperor. And then he talks about slaves in verse 18, and following about being subject to your masters uh, with all respect, even the bad masters, the masters who treat you unjustly. Why? Because it's a gracious thing. And you need an example. Whenever we suffer we do what god expects and we suffer for it we need an example and our example is verse 21 because christ also suffered for you and part of the reason he suffered and how he suffered and the bible is not doesn't have just a few verses on his suffering it has many many verses on the suffering of christ because he is our example so that we might follow in his steps. And when we, sin, or when we suffer unjustly, we have Christ as our example. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Learning to do this is, is hard as a Christian, but because of this clear truth from God's Word, we don't have an excuse not to. doesn't matter what you and I are dealing with. Our reaction cannot be sin. If the Bible says it is sin, then we need an example, and Christ is our example. We have an example to follow in the pages of Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us telling us to follow that example. And then we have a church around us that says, yes, keep following Christ. So let's go back to Romans 6. In our Bibles, Romans 6 and verses 20 to 23. You probably know 623. Most of us know it well that we could quote it. Hopefully you have used this verse in talking to uh, those friends and family that you are trying to uh, tell them about Christ and salvation. And uh, verse 23 is not necessarily um, written to unbelievers about salvation. It's written to believers uh, because Romans 4 and 5 uh, talk about salvation, and 6 talks about sanctification, how to grow as a Christian after we know Christ as our Savior. So, let's, we'll put verse 23 in context. I won't tell you not to use verse 23 uh, for salvation uh, purposes or evangelism purposes, but know it in its context, and it actually, uh, we'll we'll figure out uh, why Paul uses it here. Uh, Everything in Romans, very logical, uh, progressive. Uh, One truth leads to another, and uh, so today we'll look at uh, verses 20 Uh, to 23 in Romans 6. Let's read those together. Verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our world puts in front of us celebrities. People who are to be celebrated because they can, last Sunday, they can throw a football very accurately. To people who can catch a football and run really fast. And kick a football through the uprights. We are hearing, and we're going to hear this year, uh, wealthy men, powerful men, and women try to convince us to vote for them in November. If we had a chance to talk to people who make millions of dollars a year, the people that are celebrated, the people that are in front of us on movies, on YouTube stars, on sports teams, in politics and you could talk to them even for five minutes, and you could ask them, you have, it it appears that you have it all. You've got popularity. You've got fame. You've got fortune. You have, these guys that play football can retire at age 28, 29, and they have made millions for five years even, if they invested that correctly, and I thought, man, if I could just make a million dollars <laughs> as a 20-year-old, and I can invest that correctly. I wouldn't have to work again. Like whoa! But often they don't invest it correctly, and they they uh, and many end up uh, bankrupt. Um, but many don't, and they live in luxury the rest of their lives. We're thinking of politicians. Several politicians are multi-multi-millionaires, if not a billionaire. But what is the end of their life? If you watch the Super Bowl and the same team has won now three out of the last four years and they're celebrated, they're honored. They get massive amounts of money from endorsements, let alone from their football teams. I mean, you just think of Tom Brady, and we didn't see him uh, playing football, but you saw him in several Super Bowl commercials. And each of those commercials probably guaranteed him more than a million dollars just for being on a 30 second commercial. You're like, give me 30 seconds there, right? <laughs> like, sign me up. But we don't have the name, we don't have the face, we don't have the career to get us that kind of paycheck. But what's the end of his life? He had it all. He may be considered the goat, and no one is ever going to touch his records. But what is the end of his life? This life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Sports, no matter how much they can give you in the moment, do not guarantee you very long-term fame and popularity. How many people are just loving um, Bradshaw, Joe Namath, guys that were really popular 40 years ago? You know, in 40 years, no one is going to care about Tom Brady. No one. You're like, oh, but he's the greatest of all time. Even this last year, he didn't play football. You know what? We don't really care about Tom Brady anymore because he's not winning any football games. We're not cheering for him anymore. He's going to be forgotten. And unless he repents, he's going to be burning in a bottomless pit for all time. I don't want to be like him. And many people that we aspire to be like, we have to ask ourselves the question, as Romans 6 does, consider the end of life. Where does this path lead. A pastor friend of mine years ago, and we were talking and he, uh, about, about my dad's age, and he evangelistically uh, would talk to many people, and he, he made this comment, the unsaved life is like partying on a riverboat that is headed for Niagara Falls. No one would want to be, they don't take river cruises to party right above Niagara Falls. Now, there are many other rivers that they would have party boats on, but no one would knowingly get in a party river boat. As much alcohol as you can consume, as much food as you want to consume, as much entertainment as you can have, and the end of that trip, you're plunging over niagara falls to your death no one would sign up for that but this is the unsaves predicament what is at the end of my life what is at the end of your life i was out in Lo, i believe years ago with one of our interns and we were talking at a park Many didn't want to talk to us, and in particular, this one lady that was there watching a um, baseball game, I believe it was, softball maybe. Uh, And the intern was talking to her, and he was trying to talk to her about salvation, and she just interrupted him and said, I don't want to talk about or think about this. I just want to hear to enjoy my son's game. Okay, fair enough. The problem is, we put game after game after game, after game, after game. And then when our kids grow old, then it's grandkids, game after game, after game, after game, and then we, we end up in a hospital bed and we end up dying. You know, what we've, we know what we've put in front of us the whole time, and never think about this question: things that don't really matter. If it's not games, it's TV. If it's not TV, it's trips. If it's not trips, it's something other than thinking about this eternally important question. To get someone to think about this question, even for five minutes, should result in some serious, sober thinking. But whenever we have serious, sober thinking, you know what we do? We pull out our smartphone and we distract ourselves with something that we don't have to think about this question. Satan's strategy to keep us distracted our whole lives and then never have to think about where does this life end? You know what's helpful for us as believers? To go to funerals, not parties. Funerals, why? Solomon says this, it's better to go to a funeral. Why? Because this is the end of all humanity. Everyone knows the end of life is coming when they're at a funeral. And it's good for us, even children, to go to funerals. Why? Because we are face-to-face with death at a funeral. We see death here in Romans 6. It's been mentioned a couple times as we are slaves to sin. But in verse 20, we are told that when we were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now, I found another many other passages in, in the New Testament about slaves. Usually, it's translated servant. Servants, obey your masters in all things, Ephesians and Colossians would say. And uh, in First uh, Peter, we were told to honor our masters, to even honor the emperor, to be obedient, even to unjust, cruel masters as slaves of God. So, this idea of slavery was very common in Roman times and not very common for us, but illustrating, continuing illustration throughout Romans 6 is helpful for us to understand that you could only be a slave to one master. That's how slavery worked. Matthew 6 says this, you can't be a slave to God and money. Uh, Everyone knew that, and we need to know that, okay? So you can only be a slave to one master. And throughout Romans 6, we have been challenged as believers to not be slaves to sin any longer. And we we are free from our master of sin, who was cruel, abusive. We couldn't wait to get to be free. There are two ways to be free chapter 7 is going to talk about uh, another way to be free, but to be bought out of slavery to sin was one way to be free or to die. When you die, your master doesn't own you anymore because you're you're dead to him, all right? And so, we have this idea of being dead to sin and alive to God throughout Romans 6, but in verse 20 it says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Oh, that's obvious, because you can only be a slave to one master. And when you're a slave to sin, righteousness, you don't have to listen to righteousness. You don't have to do anything righteous at all. All right, so what I have done here is show us a chart. On this chart, we'll go down the left side of the chart first, and in these four verses, before Christ, and then uh, the, sec- the last two verses gives us uh, details about what it's different when we are in Christ. I put a heavy black line down the middle because it's not gradual to get from one side to the other. Uh, there's a great golf fix because of us and our sin to be separated from God, and I could have put one little door there on humility, which would be Christ at the cross. Uh, I didn't do that, uh, but that we know as Christians this is how uh, we go from before Christ to in Christ, and these two sides are opposite, as Romans 6 has shown us. Uh, we have to think differently. We have to know things that are different. We have to live differently than the world because we are, have a new position, a new relation, a new master, a new life of holiness, and today we'll look at this, where this holy life ends. It ends with the gift of eternal life. So, this is where we're headed. Where does this, these two lives end? And they're in drastically different places, obviously different places. One, no one would want. The second one, everyone would want. So, before Christ, this is the default, or when you turn on your computer, you get default settings. When you open up your smartphone, When you first get it out of the package, there are default settings, there are default ringers, there are default everything in our technology. For us as believers, for us as humans, we have a default setting, we have a default position, and all of us are born in sin. That's very clear in Scripture. And when we are slaves of sin, verse 20 says, and it talks in past tense, because he's talking to Christians. When you were slaves of sin, now think about what it was like before Christ, when you were a slave of sin, how did you look at righteousness? Well, you only can be a slave to one master, and if you're obeying sin and you're giving your life everything about you, your heart, your mind, your actions, everything, every part of you is a slave of sin, you're free in regard to righteousness, what, is this? How does that? what does this look like? Think about if you got saved as an adult and your coworker was a Christian. And after, let's say Monday after the Super Bowl, at the Super Bowl party, you drank a lot and you got drunk and you had someone take you home. You had a hangover on Monday as you show up to work and your Christian friend is talking to you and they tell you that they went to a church Super Bowl party and there was no alcohol there. And they didn't really talk about the game. It was just what was the atmosphere of the party, and there was a very different atmosphere at one party than the other. But if you tell your friend, um, "We uh, we don't we don't drink as a rule uh, in parties. We don't get we don't get drunk at our church Super Bowl parties," they would think you are crazy. Like, what kind of party doesn't have drinking? As many people who are slaves to sin think. That is true. Now, can you be a Christian and drink? Well, yes, you can. But in the list of sins, many times in the New Testament, drunkard is there. We can't keep giving ourselves as slaves to sin. We're fighting against sin, which we'll see on, on the next slide. But... When you're a slave of sin, and there are many other sins, let's say this, this slave of lust, and I, I work with guys um, as an 18, 19-year-old, I was shocked at how every single thought was impure. Every single word out of their mouth, day after day for a whole summer, and I worked there three summers, I was like, grieved. Every day I came home, I was like, every single thought out of these guys' mind and every single thing they say is just impure. How do you live that way? Well, that's what slaves to sin, that's how they live. And when you live that way, you're free in regard to righteousness. If I told them, I, my God draws the line at lust, I can't even look at a woman and have lust in my heart because that's sin. They think I was crazy, and they did. And you maybe work with people like this, and you challenge them in their their thoughts, and they think you're crazy for being a slave to righteousness. But there's two choices here, slave to sin or slave to righteousness. And when you're a slave to sin, and all of us were before salvation, what God says in His Word has no bearing in your life. And the Ten Commandments, although they're convicting, we have no desire to obey them. Why? Because you're free in regard to righteousness. That's what he's getting at here. So whenever we tell someone, you're disobeying God's word, and they say, I don't really care what God's word says. That's an expected response. Why? Because of what Romans 6.20 says. When someone is a slave to sin, they don't care what God's word says. They don't care about God's righteousness. They don't care about pleasing God. They don't care about the Ten Commandments. We all lived that way before we were saved. Okay? Why? Because there's only two ways to live, slave of sin, slave of righteousness. And when you're a slave of sin, you do not care if your life displeases God. You don't care if you're disobeying God's Word. All you're concerned about is obeying your Master, giving your body to being a slave of sin. Okay. But he's talking about Christians, and he's reminding us as believers, when we were slaves of sin, what God said in His Word had no authority in our lives. Verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? We'll stop there. This is a question. And if we were to ask people, okay, have you ever seen yourself in a video where you were really, really drunk, really high? Maybe someone who is extremely angry and screaming at the top of their lungs. Their face is beat red. They are, and they they watch the video of themselves in sin, enslaved to sin, dominated by sin. And if you and I could watch ourselves sinning on video, as believers, you know what we should conclude? It is ugly. Awful. Have you ever watched yourself as, as a kid on a video? This is a video that, that my grandmother's neighbor just got a video camera in the late 80s, probably, dating myself. Video cameras just came out, huge, big camcorder on her shoulder, taking videos. I watched the video of myself as a loud, I don't know what I was, eight, nine, ten year old. I was the most annoying kid. It was awful. Like, oh man, that, I would not, I would not want to put that on YouTube and send you guys a link. to Say, hey, look at what I was like <laughs> as an eight or 10-year-old. Awful. Why? Because I'm ashamed of that now. Why am I ashamed of that? Because I was a slave of sin. Every type of sin that we could sin, and if we could see ourselves, and Satan often doesn't let us forget our sin. And every time we think about the, the sin that we've been involved in in the past as Christians, we are ashamed. We want distance from ourselves and our sin. We want to tell people, but that was me before. I've changed. I'm not the same person. And by God's grace, that is true. And if we were to challenge people with, as they are slaves to sin. And they give themselves to sin. And we ask them, what results in your life? That's the word fruit. What fruit, the, word, the same word as the fruit of the Spirit, I believe, in Galatians 5. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now? ashamed. Even unsaved people looking at a video of their sin, slave of sin, they, when they're thinking soberly, when they're not angry and they can look at themselves being angry, when they're not drinking and they look at themselves as a drunkard, when they're not high and they can think soberly about themselves when they're high and they can watch themselves and say, what do you see here? They have to conclude I don't really like seeing that. What we get because we're slaves of sin, and we look back at the life that we lived before Christ, and we say, shame. I'm ashamed of myself. That's expected. Every single sin, and I'll have a list of sins, acceptable and unacceptable sins on the next slide, but every single sin that we give, I have given ourselves over to. If we can play the video back in our minds, the fruit that we get, the result that we get from that sin always is shameful, no matter what the sin is. The end, where does it lead? Look at verse 21. It says, the end of those things the things of which you're ashamed, the fruit, the results of you giving yourselves as a slave to sin, the end of those things. And that word end is just like the final, the conclusion, the end of the road, which is why we chose as a, as a title, uh, what is the end of my life? Where does my life end? The end of those things is death. It is always death. It is us in our proud humanity at times that we think, but it will be different for me. I can give myself as a slave to sin. I can get shame when I think about it, but I'm, I can change or I, it will be different. The end of my life is not going to be death. That is a huge lie that comes from the Garden of Eden and a serpent who said, you shall not surely die. And that lie has been believed by billions of people throughout humanity. But it is always this way. You're free from God's righteousness outside of Christ. Oh, you can party like there's no tomorrow. What you'll get from your partying is shame. And if you keep heading this party road, You're like on a party boat and you're headed for Niagara Falls every single time. It always ends in death. Don't fool yourself. But he's writing to Christians we are ashamed of our sin. We are glad that we're not still slaves of sin in verse 20. We're glad that the end of our life is different than the end of verse 21. We have one comment from verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Now, we have used this in evangelism. What we earn for our sin is death. Or another way of saying it, death is deserved. It's earned. We cannot, as Christians, think... I deserve better. No matter what it is in life, if you and I start going down this path, we're going back into slavery to sin because I deserve a better spouse. I deserve a better life. I deserve more obedient children. I deserve parents who spend more time with me. I deserve a more elaborate vacation. I deserve... Better health. What did I do to deserve this? We often think in our pride. And we're in our pride thinking that. What you deserve and what I deserve is death and hell for all eternity. Never forget that, even as a Christian. Because if we think, I deserve better. We're going to end up in all kinds of sin and justifying all kinds of sin. Headed down the road of discontentment and anger and, and wrath and gossip and immorality. It leads to some pretty dark places, even for the Christian. But if we will realize we're on a different path. Death, unfortunately, is earned. Death is deserved. And in opposite of this verse in eternal life, this has to be talking about eternal death. It's not just physical death because all of us as Christians die. But he's showing us here that before Christ, eternal death is earned. Let me ask you the question. Even if you were saved as a child, have you done enough in your life right now to deserve eternal death? And all of us would have to say, with our heads hanging in shame, yes. It's like that for all of us. All of us have done enough. One sin is enough. We habitually sin. And in habitually sinning, we, if God chose to send us all to hell, He would be just and right to do so and we deserve it. And no one is going to stand before God right before they're thrown into the lake of fire and say, I don't deserve this. No one. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have earned death. But what do we do? Desperate attempt to not think about where my life is headed desperate attempt to try not to think about where my life ends what is the end of the road romans 6 is very clear about where this road leads but he's not talking unbelievers he's talking to believers saying this is what you earned as a slave of sin giving yourself as more and more lawlessness living a life of unholiness and impurity This is how all of us lived, and because of that, we got shame, we got death that we deserved. And this is the plight of every single person on the face of the earth before Christ. And this is supposed to motivate us. That We'll see in the next slide. All right, back to verse, there's nothing um, about in christ until we get to verse 22 so i'll go back to verse 22 and now the reality of us being in christ in christ verse 22 but now that you have been set free from sin have been set free that's passive that means we haven't set ourselves free that means someone has set us free we didn't earn this someone has set us free and it'll be very clear at the end of verse 23 but even in the verb tenses, passive, that means someone had to set us free, and they've set us free from sin. And we have become slaves of God. Also, I likely passive where we have become, that means someone made us free from sin, and someone made us slaves of God. What is the fruit that we get? Remember the fruit that we got the last time? We're slaves of God's righteousness in verse 22. So the fruit we got in verse 21a is shameful. Shame. What do we get in verse 22, second part? The fruit you get leads to sanctification, holiness. There are many Christians even that think of holiness as a very boring way to live. Just awful. Why would anyone want to live that way? wait a minute, wait a minute. I think it's C.S. Lewis it says, for the Christian and for those who know Christ, holiness is something that is um, so attractive. It is such a positive virtue, something that we would all want in our lives. The unsaved say, holiness, blah, who wants to go to that kind of Super Bowl party? wait a minute. You don't even know what you're doing at the end of the party. You can't even drive home. You have no idea who won the game until you look at the… because your life is shameful. Your life's dragging you to death that you deserve. And for the Christian, the fruit we get is holiness. We say Christ like holiness. And what makes heaven in Romans 4 and 5 glorious is there's no sin there. Nothing that defiles is in heaven. Perfect, pure people are praising a perfectly pure Savior for all time. You say, that sounds awful. You don't know Jesus yet, then. This is what we do every single Sunday. As unholy as we are, we try to confess sin, and we try to get right with God, and by God's grace, He allows us to be pure. Not perfectly. We still struggle with it, but we try to submit ourselves, our bodies, to righteousness, and the fruit that we get because we're a slave of God, our righteous God, He makes us righteous, and a synonym of righteousness is holiness. And that word holy is found in the the root there of sanctification, which we saw also at the end of verse uh, 19. So the fruit you get, your life looks like holiness, separate from sin, not shameful. Even the world, and I watched a very popular TV show in the 1990s, and TV was getting worse and worse as it has Progressed worse and worse. but even and in, in sitcoms, you can hear the audience, I don't know if it's canned or it was actual audience that are very laugh at everything kind of people. Um, but in this sitcom, this guy who was married was seduced by his coworker, somebody, to take her home, to go in her house, and then she's trying to come on to him, but he's married. And finally, he says, no, I want no part of this. You're safe. I'm leaving. And as he gets up and leaves in purity, kind of like Joseph in the story, uh, uh, 39, Genesis 39 that you studied in Sunday school, the audience claps and cheers. Why? Because we like it when people are holy. We admire someone who will stay faithful to his wife and reject people who are trying to get him to be impure. Why do we admire that? Because holiness doesn't bring shame. It's attractive even to the world. We admire people that say no to their flesh. We admire people that may take a pay cut, but they're honest. We admire people that are loyal We admire holiness. Maybe not perfectly, but this is part of our made in the image of God. When we see godliness, it's attractive. The world and their unholiness. You know who the unholy guys want to marry? They want to marry a holy wife. Why don't they want to marry the unholy women? That because they don't want that. They want to be unholy, but they want to marry someone who's holy. Talk to them. And it works the other way around, too. The unholy women want to marry a holy guy who's going to be loyal to them. The fruit is holiness. Verse 22 continues. And its end, comparable to the end of verse 21. The end, what we get at the end of life is eternal life. This is where the road ends. It doesn't end you up in eternal death over the waterfall and certain destruction. No. A holy life because we're slaves of God, a righteous God who helps us to go from one degree of holiness to the next degree of holiness by His Spirit for His glory. This life ends an eternal life. See how that's opposite of twenty-one B? The end is death. There's a way that seems right to a man that the end thereof are the ways of death. But the end of the Christian life is eternal life. Just gets better. For the unbeliever, it just gets worse. And finally, comparing the wages of sin. Sin, because of sin, death is earned. Death is deserved. But no Christian who's a slave of God can say, I earned my way into this family. I earned my way into heaven. I deserve heaven. No Christian can say that. No sinner who has been forgiven can say that. Because all of us are going to be in heaven. Because salvation is a gift. Eternal life is not earned. Different than all other denominations, all other false religions. This is why we use Romans 6.23, because this distinguishes Christianity from all other religions where they say you can earn your salvation, you can earn heaven, and we say no, because Romans 6.23 says we deserve, we earn death because of our sin. Eternal life is a free gift. And where is that free gift located? It matches what is at the beginning of Romans 6, where we are in a position, we are in Christ Jesus, and He is our Lord. That means He's our Master. Whatever He says goes. That's slave language. Again, Jesus is Christ. He's the King. He's Jesus. That means Savior. He is our Lord. That means He's our Master. And He gives everyone who is in Him the free gift of eternal life. We are going to be humble for all time because all of us who are in heaven will be there because of the gift of eternal life. No one earns it. All right, so for application, submissive to yourself or your flesh. That means, and this is the language of Romans 6, that you Give your members or submit your members that you have and I have a body, a physical body. What am I going to do with this body? Both my mind, my heart, my hands, my eyes, my mouth, my ears. What am I going to allow this body to do? Well, if you're a slave of sin, what are you going to allow your body to do? You're going to listen to whatever your body says. Your body says you're having trouble, so go find some alcohol, go find some drugs. Cannabis is now legal. Hooray! It's awful. The cannabis place here in 113 is crowded all the time. Like, that's awful. People trying to forget their problems with a substance. Bowing down and worshiping something you can smoke or something you can eat to make you feel a little happier. Let me forget about the shame. Forget about the end of life. It's all a distraction, it's all part of the package of deceit, feeding ourself, feeding our flesh. And before Christ, every one of us was submissive. We put ourselves to whatever our self, whatever our flesh wanted to do. And we were involved in our culture. Every culture has different acceptable and unacceptable sins. But for our culture right now in 2024, some unacceptable sins are substances, violence or abuse of how we treat other people, certain immoralities, certain uh, tax evasion, fraud. Those are certain things. um, Obviously, uh, murder should be up here too. I I didn't have room to put all the lists of it. But think of whenever someone commits this sin or that sin, the culture at large says, I don't want them to be my neighbor. I don't want them to be in my family. I'm going to avoid them. That would be an unacceptable sin. And then acceptable sins that we often justify even as Christians would be lust, anger, uh, lies. Some people would say little white lies. Bitterness. Dishonoring authority, which we were told in 1 Peter, to even honor the emperor. We're supposed to honor our president uh, and vice president. Um, not to argue, have strife, uh, gambling. Uh, saying OMG uh, or any derivatives, uh, gossip, uh, worry, coveting, uh, neglecting relationships that you should be spending time with your spouse or your children and you're not, you're spending time on yourself, not loving God or others, and the list could go on and on. These have specific scripture that goes with them. They're lists of sins, and there's others So before Christ, and when we talk about this list, everyone that we talk to in evangelism feels guilty. Why? Because God's law is written in their hearts, Romans 2 says, that we know we're guilty. We just don't want to think about our guilt. We don't want to think about the shame. We definitely don't want to think about where does my life end? What's going to happen when I breathe my last? But we have to. And as Christians, we can't even allow any of these sins. So, if you're here today and you don't know Christ yet or you're watching, are you motivated to repentance? Because Romans 2 says God's kindness in delaying judgment and allowing you to live in opposition to Him and disobeying Him over and over, His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He is not willing that you perish because of these sins, but he's drawing you to himself, away from your sin, so that you would and I would not be condemned to hell forever. Are you motivated to repentance and faith, knowing where this life or this path leads? Most people, if they're in the unacceptable sins, want to be with other people that commit unacceptable sins. Most, and that's, that's the minority, thankfully, of people in our culture, but most of our culture is in the, unex, the acceptable sins category, and those people don't want to be around the people, and we said this, this will be the unacceptable sins, usually Romans 1, the acceptable sins are Romans 2, all right? And we avoid people that we think are worse than us, and we want to be around people that are better than us, or at least equal with us in our acceptable sin categories, this is how we live this is how we think this is how we give ourselves as submissive to putting ourselves under the domination of idols and our self and our flesh but as a christian what do we see in romans 6 we are submissive to the word of god we are submissive to the spirit of god this is how we are slaves of god slaves of righteousness slaves of jesus who is our master So how do we look at our sin? Well, we're no longer justifying any sin. We're actively using God's Word to fight against the lies of our flesh or our our heart, our desires. The world around us justifying sin? No, we fight against the lies of our world as well, and definitely Satan. Satan is always tempting us to follow our heart to submit to the self. It's no big deal if you commit any of those sins on the left side. That it is. Don't listen to Satan. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to your own heart. And we're not going to justify any sins when this, our, our sin is exposed. We are free as Christians to use, your, you're free to use your body to know and love and serve God and others you're free from sin. You're free. Before you were free, you were a slave of sin. You were free from righteousness. But now, no, 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 this, is, this passage is about you are free from sin. You are free from the law whipping you, telling you you're guilty all the time. You're free from the world identifying you with your sin and we are now free to identify with Christ our Savior. We are a blood-bought children of God. That's how God identifies us. We're in His family. We're going to be in His family for eternity because of His free gift. So, final question for us as Christians if we're in Christ, are you motivated toward holiness, knowing where your life leads? the end of life is a motivation. Every time I have to do a funeral or I attend a funeral, I think about the end of life. You know what that motivates me to do? To love my wife, love my kids, love my church, love the lost. Cause me to love God. The things that I know I'm supposed to be doing when I'm thinking soberly about life and I'm thinking about the end of life I'm motivated toward holiness, and you should be too. This chapter is about the motivation toward holiness, and thinking about the end of life is wonderful because it motivates us toward obedience. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You for Your truth. I pray that You give us grace now to think soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Help us not to submit to our flesh and the world and Satan's lies anymore. Help us to realize we are free from that domination, from that master, and help us to realize we are slaves of God. We are Your slaves. We are so thankful for the free gift of salvation, and I pray that our lives reflect the path that we are on, knowing where we are headed, and that we look more and more like our holy Savior and less and less like our unholy world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.